Uh, good to see him. We are uh, kind of condensing our service uh, because we are in the process, and uh, we'll explain that in just a moment. But uh, if you need sermon notes, uh, they are right here. And slip your hand up if you'd like a set of sermon notes. But we're back in uh, the story of David and Goliath, that timeless tale from First Samuel 17, one that always encourages and challenges my heart. So if you'd like to follow along in your Bible, uh, you are welcome to do that, whether it's electronic or whatever it is. Good. All right, so let's get started. I think that one of the cooler creatures in all of God's creation is uh, the elephant. I happen to enjoy elephants. I discovered that while living in Thailand, uh, elephants are officially classified as an endangered species. In most countries of the world, in fact, there are estimated to be only about three to 4,000 elephants left in Thailand. A hundred years ago, there was about 100,000 elephants. So they have been abused and poached and all kinds of different things. Uh, so there are now elephant camps throughout Thailand. And uh, we regularly went to these elephant camps to learn more about elephants and even ride them. Uh, that was always a fun thing to do. But did you know that an elephant can easily pick up a one-ton load with his trunk? One ton but have you ever watched these huge animals standing quietly? Uh, they're massive, but they've got this little rope and a wooden stake in the ground. So uh, that elephant could easily just step right out of that thing. What happened? Why doesn't he do that? Well, while still young and very weak, an elephant is actually tied by a heavy chain to an immovable iron stake until his will is broken. And at that moment, then, he discovers that no matter how hard he tries, he can't break the chain, he can't move the stake, so he gives up. And then as the elephant grows, no matter how large that elephant becomes, he won't move. No matter how strong he gets, he continues to believe that he can't possibly get out of that predicament and so you'll often see them standing with a very thin rope with a wooden stake and it's a mindset is it not because that elephant could easily step out of that and that same mindset I believe can keep Jesus followers from accomplishing great things for God why we only look as far as our eyes of experience or wisdom or education or whatever can see not bothering to gaze into the fullness of God's love and his power that he has available for us. Now, a shepherd boy named David did exactly that, and because of that, he leveled this mountain of a man. It's a great story. Most of us are very familiar with And Last week, we examined some faith reducers, faith reducers from David's life, those things that hold us captive to living a life clucking with the turkeys rather than soaring with the eagles. We are to mount up with wings as eagles, Isaiah wrote, certainly. And so this morning uh, we return back to 1 Samuel 17, the story of David and Goliath. And today we're not going to talk 
about faith reducers, but rather the other side of the coin, faith producers. So if we eliminate some of those things that uh, kind of hold us captive, what can we put into ourselves to find the freedom and live the kind of life that God really intended us to live like overcomers? Now, as we prepare for our move and beginning at 1807 Erie next week, uh, I'm once again really preaching to myself. Would you like to listen in? Yeah, okay. Uh, So this morning, let's take that word faith, make an acrostic out of it, and then learn from David. What's an acrostic, by the way? Acrostic? Marcus? Yes. Thank you. Good. So we are going to make that out of this word faith, right? Yes. And we take the first letter, which is? F of the acrostic. Very good. So F, we're going to talk uh, this morning to begin about finding faithful friends. Finding faithful friends. As we discovered last week from David's life, one of the greatest faith reducers, things that can rob us of peace and joy and even the desire to follow Jesus comes from within the camp. Maybe from those in your own family, in your own household. They are robbing you of faith. They are reducing your faith. Maybe mocking your faith, maybe challenging your faith, uh, maybe ignoring your faith, maybe not want to have anything to do with the faith that you hold so precious. Family and friends, those closest to us. It's been true throughout my work in ministry. Sometimes the most crushing blows to our faith comes from within, from within our circle of significant others. Some of the greatest hits I have had in ministry have not come from the fiery darts of the enemy coming at me. It's been shot in the back by those who claim to know Jesus. And the scars are deep. Pastors are resigning at record rates. Very few men are entering the ministry. We are headed for a very challenging time in the church uh, because of this. And of course, COVID and all the things that have challenged your life have made the ministry far more complex as well. So young men are just not signing up anymore. Uh, Not with what they're seeing. The church has become all the fighting, all the chaos, all the division, all the opinion. And where is Jesus in all this, we wonder. And so at any rate, Within our circle, David's dad thought he wasn't leadership material. His brothers thought he was just a glory hound. We covered this last week, and the king thought there was no way he could take on the heavyweight champion of the world, big bad Goliath. Nobody thought he could do it. David got no respect, like Rodney Dangerfield, the comedian of yesteryear, who once said, I get no respect. My dog was barking at the door, so I opened it. He didn't want to go out. He wanted me to leave. So the idea of being our faith-crushing blow is dealt from the hand of someone very close to us. And I remember uh, my wife came to Jesus first. And I remember telling my dad, that's ah, just a phase she's going through. Just a phase she's going through, this Jesus stuff. But she persevered, and I praise God for that. Now, birds of a feather do flock together. I think that's generally true. Our friends formulate many of our thoughts, many of our beliefs, many of our attitudes, those people closest to us uh, kind of shape and form 
our lives. It's no accident that kids with good grades often hang out with kids who get good grades. I found the opposite to be true. Those with marital problems will often find close friends who have marital problems, and they talk about their marital problems. And so, living by faith may require us to find different friends. Now, don't get me wrong. Please hear what I'm saying. Uh, Friends are important both within the camp of Jesus' followers and in the world. Friends are very important to our lives. David had great faith, but he also had his moments just like we do. He had his moments when he wondered what's going on, but he had this friend who kept him strong in the faith. His name was Jonathan. Who was Jonathan? King Saul's son. It was the king's son. The same king who said, you can't go fight this guy, you punk kid. There's no way you can stand up against him. But his best and closest friend was Saul, the king's son. And here's what Jonathan said. Jonathan went to find David, encouraged him. Uh, by the time we get to 1 Samuel 23, Saul is now trying to kill David. And, and so Jonathan, the king's son, went to find David, encouraged him to stay strong in his faith. Don't be afraid, Jonathan, reassured him. And I've discovered that those closest to us will determine our level of success. Those people that we connect our hearts to. I want friends who will help me find strength in God, just like Jonathan did David. Now I wonder, who's speaking into your life right now? Who is speaking into your life right now? All kinds of different voices, aren't there? For some of us, it's the news. That's what speaks into our lives. Those are our friends, right? (laughs) Yeah. Who are we listening to? Who are we giving our heart to? And if those closest to us determine where we're headed, what do we need to do about that? Who is speaking into our lives right now? Is it good? Is it helping us find our strength in God? Or are those closest to us actually pulling us away from God? So find faithful friends. Very, very important. This is a faith producer. And I'm not saying you've got to live in a little bubble with you and your little friends, right? No, I'm not saying that at all. But I'm saying those that are closest to us should be helping us find our strength in God, just like Jonathan did with David. Secondly, A, adjust the attitude. Adjust the attitude. Why do we need an attitude adjustment? Well, uh, because we live in a day where we possess a spirit of fear. A spirit of fear does not come from God. God does not give us a spirit of fear, but a power and love and a disciplined mind, Paul wrote to Timothy, right? We Americans are a fearful bunch. Researchers say over 6 million American adults now have a specific phobia. Now, we add layers on that, like COVID and all of the ramifications of that, the economy and inflation, and we begin to get to a point where fear not only affects our lives, fear can immobilize our faith, and we're focused more on the fear than we are on God who actually controls all this stuff. And so as we uh, think about this, perhaps a giant has stepped onto the scene in your life, taunting and challenging. He may not be big and hairy and have really bad breath like Goliath, but nonetheless, this is very real. It's very real for you. And maybe it's fears left over from yesterday. Maybe it's anticipated fears of what tomorrow might hold. Maybe it's a relationship 
Maybe that fear is physical. Maybe it's financial. But we're all facing a giant. We're all facing fear right now. What do we do with that? Because fear reduces our faith. So we need an attitude adjustment here. How do we do that? How can we find faith? Huh. Fear not is in our Bibles is one of the most repeated commands. Why? Because God understands we're a fearful people. He gets that. He's not condemning us. He's not shaming us because of that. He's saying there's a different way to live. There's a different way to live. You see, uh, fear in God, no, faith in God puts fear to flight. And what it does, it gives us a different attitude. It gives us the attitude that is in Christ Jesus. Here's what David said. Don't worry about this Philistine, David told Saul. I'll go fight him. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. I got it handled. A fearless, bold statement, wouldn't you agree? I'll take on the heavyweight champion of the world. Now, I enjoy being around people with that same can-do kind of an attitude. And if you've been around me much, you'll hear me say, I don't want the problem, I want the solution. A gorilla can tell me the problem. I want a wise person to give me the solution. Right? And so I like people that can-do kind of attitude. Caleb, in spite of the fact giants rule the promised land in Numbers 13, said, we should go up and take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. We can do it. We can do it, right? And that's what the Apostle Paul said. I can do all things. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength, right? I like hanging around can-do kind of people. They speak to me. They encourage me. They inspire me. Now, every one of us can have that attitude as well. I'm convinced each one of us can have a different outlook on our life, no matter what your circumstances are right now. We choose the attitude. The circumstances don't choose our attitude. We choose the attitude, a Christ-like attitude. So you find yourself hemmed in by giants or a giant this morning? Do you find it's making you crabby and critical and cynical? Much of the world is becoming this way. The obstacles are too much. Do you find yourself using phrases like, I can't, I doubt it, it's impossible, I could never, I'm afraid, never in a million years. We start thinking like this, our attitude becomes like that. And just like David, by faith, uh, we need an attitude adjustment in which we rely and depend solely on the Lord, accept His invitation to join Him, and then watch Him do what only He can do, and that's the impossible. So the attitude is extremely important. We can change our attitude. Have the same attitude in you, which also was in Christ Jesus. How do we do that? That comes from surrendering it all to Him. Stop the fighting. Stop the striving. Stop trying to figure it all out. Stop trying to make it happen on your own and surrender it. We go to Philippians 2 again, right? Yeah, check out that passage of Scripture. I insist on nothing less than God's will. Insist on nothing less than God's will. This is a faith producer. David replied to the Philistine, You come to me with sword, spear, and javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. Today, the Lord will conquer you, I will kill you, and I'm going to cut off your head. (laughs) And then I will give the dead bodies of your men to the birds and wild animals, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. And everyone assembled there 
here will know that the Lord rescues his people, but not with sword and spear. This is the Lord's battle, and he will give you to us. This is not the Lord's battle. It is the Lord's battle. Why do we keep picking up the sword and the spear? That's not the answer, right? The Lord fights not with weapons of this world. Not with sword and spear. It is the Lord's battle. So David brims with confidence while the mighty fighting men of the armies of God cowered in terror before Goliath. Remember last week, look, they ran away every day. He came with his taunts. And meanwhile, this lowly shepherd boy picks up his little rocks and his sling and he sprints toward the giant. He sprints toward the giant. And he's got a different attitude. These guys are running away saying, there's no way we can touch this guy. He's saying, this guy's so big I can't miss him. Let's go! Let's go get him. Right? It's all a matter of perspective. One has faith, one has fear. They see the exact same thing. One runs this way, the other runs right at him. What in the world is going on here? Why the difference in attitude? What's happened here? One is relying completely on God. One has faith, one has fear. And David decided this. God plus one is a majority. God plus one is a majority. That's all it takes. It's a simple equation. God plus one becomes then the majority. And if God was for him, who could stand against him? God plus one is a majority. We put God at the center, then watch what can happen. Right? And that's what David continually teaches me. I don't care how big that obstacle is. What's God's plan? Do I have faith to believe? What's my attitude about this thing? And there's a sweet peace and calm when you know you're right there in God's will. Do you know that feeling? When When it's all right and there's joy and peace from the Holy Spirit as we follow God, even though the outward circumstances might not look all that promising, we know that He is God. And we can rest in that. There's this peace that settles over this whole thing. It's an amazing kind of process. God's will. He is there going before us, surrounding us. He's watching over all of our comings and goings and storms of life. May howl, decisions, demand our attention. Everything's got to get done. I understand that. And this week, I, again, have to repent of allowing some minor issues to obscure the major ones. I have to be brought back to this place of total surrender to Jesus. Now, I'm ready to move forward in faith. I'm preaching to myself. I'm ready, Lord. I'm ready to surrender again. How about you? How about you? Trust. T. Trust in God's pace and plan. Here's why. David said, I have done this to both lions and bears, and I'll do it to this pagan Philistine too. For he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the claws of the lion and the bear will rescue me from this Philistine. God tested David with some small stuff first. Out there in the fields, right? Watching over the sheep. He said, I've taken on the lion, I've taken on the bear, now I'll bring on the big boy. But he had to go through that process one step at a time. He didn't jump right in Goliath. He had a history of trusting God. He was faithful in the small things. He was obedient in what we would call lesser stuff. But obedience in the small things then will make the impossible possible with God. 
But God works in a progressive manner. He is building something in your life and mine right now. Each test that we're undergoing, each trial that we're facing, is designed to increase our faith for the next one. And up and up and up we go, right? But if we bog down here and we say, "Ah, I can't do this anymore. This is too hard. We're missing the whole idea here, what God's trying to do. He's trying to strengthen our faith. Character is built and strengthened as we learn to trust God one little step at a time. Not the big steps, right? Be faithful in the daily stuff, the small stuff. Now picture lowly little David. Here he is again against the undisputed heavyweight champion of the world. His name is Goliath. He stands over nine feet tall. Woo! His armor weighs in at 125 pounds, probably more than the scrawny kid he's going up against. His spear shaft is several inches thick, and his spearhead alone weighs 15 pounds. Now imagine if that thing came into you. Several inches thick, 15 pounds, wham! And the Philistines had the advantage because they could produce metal that the Israelites could not. So imagine that thing coming at you. David brimmed with confidence while the army of God cowered in defeat. If David had relied on his feelings in that moment, he would have done what everybody else did. And what did they do? They ran. Ah! Here he comes again. They ran, right? I'm scared. I'm out of here. You go fight him. I'm not. No, 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 no. Not me. Not me. David had something a little bit different going on. His faith was based on the fact that God was, is, and will be faithful. I've taken on the lion. I've taken on the bear. Bring on this guy. God's faithful. And I don't know what you're up against right now. But take a look back down your journey just for a moment. Has God been there when you needed him? Back there against the lion and then the bear? Can he handle what you're up against right now? He can. He will. He wants to. If we'll but trust Him. If we'll but trust Him. Now, some may think, God would never give me, God would never give our church anything. Anything I can't do. I've come to a place in my spiritual life that if I sense or I believe that God is giving me something to do that I can do, I know I can handle with my wisdom, my experience, my intelligence, my ability, whatever. It probably isn't from God. God doesn't give out many assignments that we can accomplish on our own. Because then we don't need Him. And then we get the glory. But He alone wants the glory. He wants to demonstrate His love and His power to us and to the world around us by giving us something that is impossible. What is in your life right now that you think this is impossible? I don't know how this is going to work out. What do we need to do? How are we going to handle this? I don't know. I don't know, but I'm going to trust in God's peace and I'm going to trust in His plan because God's assignments are always God-sized. I've got to quit thinking so small. The lion, the bear, the big guy, they are way beyond what we can do because He wants to demonstrate who He is. And He is awesome. He is awesome. So let's trust him together. Now, his plan for you and me seems impossible, but it's perfect. How do I know that? Very familiar verse, Jeremiah 29, 11. I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. This was given to Israel. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. God's not harming us. 
plans to give you hope in the future that is still God's will for his people. His plans are to give us hope in the future. Does that mean it's easy? Ah, uh-uh, never said that. In fact, said just the opposite. In the world, you will have many trials and tribulations. That's right. But be of good cheer because Jesus said, I have overcome the world. That's right. So God has a plan. It's wonderful. It's liberating. There's no facades. There's no phoniness. He speaks the truth. He speaks it in love. He's speaking to us. And his perfect plan always fits us just like a glove. Now, his plan is not the same for you as the person next to you or the person behind you or beside you. His plan is unique for you. Now, the issue is, is the person beside you or in back of you or who lives beside you or who works in the next cubicle, are they helping you find your strength in God? Or are they pulling the other way, joining you in this grand pity party of, I don't know what I'm so afraid. This is long, right? What are we going to do with this? What are we going to do with this? H, coming down the home stretch. Where do we find faith? Hear the word of God and do it. This is so basic and yet needs to be repeated again and again and again. Paul said in Romans ten seventeen, faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. Faith comes by hearing from God through his word. Through his word, right? There are many voices in the wind today. The Bible contains, though, the very breath of God. All Scripture is inspired. That word inspired means God breathed. And I always like to think of God going out on a frosty January Wisconsin morning, breathing out, captures the vapor of His breath. He put it in a book and He says, here's my word. This is my word. It's not the word. It's the word for you so that you might live as a conqueror, as an overcomer in Jesus. So we have to be people of the Word. It probes our hearts. It searches our thoughts and our intents. There's nothing else like it. It's the owner's manual for living a life of faith. It is the Word of God. It's God's Word in our heart and the Holy Spirit's guidance in our lives. They're an unbeatable combination. And so we need to dig deeply into the Word of God. And as I do from time to time, I will ask the staff or elders, what does your time with God look like? This is never motivated by shame or guilt, but I want to encourage people because we drift so easily away from the Word and we're listening to these other voices and everything gets distorted out there. And so where are we with the Word? And this is just a gentle nudge coming from me, from my heart to yours. Pick it up. Pick it up. Faith comes from hearing the word of God and for struggling with our faith there's we've lost the connection right we've lost the connection a story is told about a lady who had a small house on the seashore of Ireland during the turn of the 20th century she was quite wealthy but she was also quite frugal Uh, the people were shocked around her when she was one of the first to get electricity put into her home well, several weeks after the installation, this meter reader appeared at her door and asked, is your electricity working well? She said, 
it sure is. Uh, but he says, uh, your meter shows scarcely any usage. Are you using your power? Certainly, she answered. Each evening when the sun sets, I turn on my lights just long enough to light my candles. Then I turn the lights off. And I thought about that. You see, she's tapped into the power, but she doesn't use it. Her house is connected, but it's not altered. Don't we make the same mistake in our lives? We can so easily do this. We too, with our souls saved, but our hearts unchanged, are connected but not altered. Trusting Christ for salvation is one thing. But transformation is what He desires. We occasionally flip the switch, but most of us settle for the shadows because of all the voices speaking around us. And the power is still there. What would happen if we left the lights on? Let the Holy Spirit illuminate the Word of God, penetrate our hearts. What would happen if we not only flipped the switch, but also lived by the light and walked by faith? Our lives would look a whole lot different. The attitudes that we have would be very different. Can you dream with me? How many can arise reach? How good can it get? How many lives might be touched for the glory of God? And I want to plant a seed in your heart as God has done my, in my own. He's inviting us to join Him on a mission at 1807 Erie. That begins soon. Would you risk with me removing any faith reducers looking at these faith producers and saying, how can I do this? Where am I with these things? What do I need to change so I can be more like Jesus? Jesus hasn't changed much over the years. You need a mountain moved. You need a giant taken out of the picture. His words still ring true. Everything is possible for him who believes. With God, all things are possible. That's Jesus talking. That's Jesus talking. Yeah. And perhaps you're wondering about future ministry to rise. Sometimes I get this. And, you know, as Jen prayed, thank you, Jen, uh, we don't have everything figured out. We're just taking it one step at a time. And maybe you're sitting here this morning and say, you know what? I'm making the journey to arise, but I don't know how I fit in. Because, you know what? I really don't have much of a passion for the poor and the broken. I get that. It's not everybody's cup of tea. I completely, completely understand that. But let me challenge you with this. Mother Teresa of Calcutta was once being interviewed by a reporter. He said, you know what? I really admire your passion for the poor. Mother Teresa stared at him and said, I don't have any compassion for the poor. I don't even want to be here. The reporter was shocked. What? She explained it this way. My passion is for Jesus. Jesus has a passion for the poor and the broken and the hurting. So she served Jesus to please him by serving the poor. A little different way to look at it. This may sound simple, but it's incredibly profound. You may not have a heart for the poor and the broken. My question is, do we have a heart for Jesus? Because that's Jesus' heart. If we have a heart for Jesus, that will be the byproduct. And however that looks in your life and in your family, it's not that difficult, right? We each have a role to play. And you may not be out there in the front lines, 
at stepping stone. But maybe you're in the prayer closet praying for stepping stone, right? Everybody's got a part. Everybody's got a role here. And as we grow into Christ's likeness, we will have his heart for the broken and the lost and the hurting. We will have his heart, his compassion. It won't be a sense of duty that we're supposed to do this, but simply being on mission with Jesus because that's what he's about. This Jesus whom we claim to love with all of our heart, how is that showing up in our lives? I believe we have some incredible opportunities right in front of us. Seizing them will require risk. Seizing them will require faith. Absolutely necessary. The fields are ripe in the harvest. We're going to have to pull together like never before. Because this is a new assignment from God. I'm really pumped about this. It will take a new level of commitment from each of us. And until I am committed, there's a hesitancy, the opportunity to draw back, to say, oh, I'm just going to sit around and watch and see how this thing plays out. But once the moment comes that I completely commit myself, then my heart changes and my focus begins to change. It shifts off of me on the needs of others because that's what Jesus is all about. Don't look out on your own personal interests, but the interests of others also have the same attitude in you, which also is in Christ Jesus. Wow. Wow. And as we deepen our relationship with the Lord, our desires begin to shift toward loving God as expressed by loving others, whatever that looks like, whatever that looks like, whatever that looks like. Ministry is motivated by our desire then to do the right thing. Make a difference. Bring people to Jesus let them find him for their salvation and help the poor and the broken get ready. Let's see where God's going to take us. Wow. May God give us that heart, his heart, on mission with him. You guys ready for this? It's a big step. It's a big step. I I don't want to minimize this in any way, shape, or form because this isn't just a matter of changing facilities. This is a matter of now aligning ourselves with the mission that he has called us to. And it's been interesting here. It's kind of like neutral. We've just been for months now. Just months. And I want us to understand, uh, some may think, hey, wait, I can't wait to get out of LCA. Can't wait to get out of LCA. I don't like that attitude. I don't like that attitude. Because LCA, last February, was an answer to prayer on where we were going next. This is a part of God's plan. As inconvenient as it might be, it's still part of His plan. And who am I to say, I don't like your plan, God. I'm glad I'm moving on. Because that's what the world says all the time. With my marriage, with my job, with my family, with everything, I'm moving on. I don't like it. I don't like it. So I'm moving on. I'm moving on. Being here was a part of God's plan for us. Being there is the next step. But that opens up now the assignment. And we've kind of pared down and gotten to the core of who we are as a church. And we're about to make a big step together. This is going to be really, really exciting. 